Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mudiwa Kavaza, and for today, uh, we are joining the team um, over at uh, Liberty. They are one of the biggest insurers um, in the country, part of uh, the Standard Bank Group. And for today, they're going to be giving us some insight into some of uh, their 2022 statistics um, around claims. What were people actually claiming for? And and um, a big part of it, you know, just has to do with, uh, you know, some of the health and lifestyle related uh, conditions that are out there. And uh, that's actually been noted as one of the leading causes of claims um, during that period. So we're going to be just diving into um, uh, that conversation because, um, you know, we are having an economic conversation. We're having a conversation about um, the health of consumers. Uh, and if you do think about it, that the end of the day the economy is a collective of all of our individual efforts uh, so the health of the consumer um, in some ways gives us an indication of uh, the health of uh, the economy so that's what we're going to be chatting about today now uh, one of the things that they have noted is the fact that uh, some of the claims are down um, compared to the year before when we were deep um, within the COVID-19 pandemic obviously claims related to COVID-19 have come down uh, but we're going to be diving into what does that actually mean now and whether or not some of these health related issues are completely gone have they been replaced by something else um, you know what is um, the issue going there it's a huge number uh, that they are seeing in terms of uh, their claims I believe um, it's around uh, 10 billion around 25% of which has to do with claims from uh, the corporate sector and then the big piece being from uh, the retail or the consumer market. So uh, we're going to be diving into all of that. And to help us to understand, we are joined uh, by Tom Crotty, who is... Um the lead specialist uh, for technical uh, marketing uh, risk proposition management um, over at Liberty together with uh, Sinatemba uh, Hobani, who is lead specialist for risk uh, product development over at Liberty. And then uh, to round things off, we are joined uh, by Dr. Dominique Stott, who is uh, Liberty's chief medical officer to help us to unpack, um, you know, all of these numbers. To start things off, uh, Dr. Stott, I think we can just start with you to give uh, some insight. We've already mentioned the fact that uh, COVID-19 and other related health-related issues uh, were a big thing, a big driver uh, through 2020-2021. But for 2020-2022, I do see that you guys have noted uh, that some of those uh, some of those numbers have come down. Could you give us a little bit of insight into what um, some of the claims are? What were people claiming for? What were people claiming about? Um, you know, what is actually going on if someone is to take a little bit of a dive into some of these statistics? For us, life claim, death claims are down. However, that doesn't mean that people are healthier now. Um, because our longer-term claims, that what we call the living benefits, are up. And I think for the foreseeable future, possibly will still go up as we cope with the aftermath of the last three years. There were, you know, when you say health and life insurance 
are inextricably woven together. They actually are. Um, and the, we can see that the effects of, the longer term effects of chronic illnesses that developed during the, the COVID period are starting to reflect now. So we are seeing an, in, an increase in our income protection claims for, as you said, psychiatric disorders, largely depression and anxiety, because of um, the indirect effects of COVID and the economic impact, the, um, the long-term health impact that comes from those leading to people being unable to work, the uh, financial impact of people now being unemployed, all those, and the chronic diseases that people contracted during that period, whether COVID-related or not, are all starting to come through in income protection and to a lesser extent in the lump sum case uh, claims. And then the critical illness claims um, are still, we still have cancer as the biggest factor. We still have cardiovascular disease, obviously. Those two are always there. But what we have seen is that respiratory disorders and renal disorders, i.e. kidney, um, are playing a bigger role because those were the longer-term impacts expected from COVID. Mm. You know, I think one of the things that's most interesting about you know what you're saying, at least if I'm understanding you correctly, simply to say that um, when we think of a recovery from COVID, um, at least from a macro point of view, we always think, okay, cool. Now we're fighting to just go back to where we where we were before COVID nineteen, and you know that's the recovery that we're in. But from a health point of view, um, there were, I guess, the unintended consequence um, was the fact that um, apart from COVID itself. Uh, COVID itself introduced a number of other risks into people's um, into people's health. You mentioned the uh, respiratory long-term, you know, respiratory issues, you know, that some people now have, and I guess that's now something that we will be dealing with into the foreseeable future. It might not necessarily be COVID-19, uh, but those effects of what happened, you know, during that hard uh, COVID-19 period, uh, I guess is something that, you know, will likely be with us, you know, for the foreseeable future. Am I understanding that piece correctly? Yes, you are. Um, those longer term diseases may only have been contracted in the last year or two either as a direct or an indirect result of COVID itself. But we anticipate that those figures may well climb because the, the actual diagnosis of that longer term problem may only come in a year or two's time. So it is possible, yes, that this trend could continue to rise. Um, it's, uh, it's a worrying factor um, because you know, health resources in South Africa are underfunded, um, especially for a population, I'm talking general population, not necessarily the insured only population. Yeah. And I think that is, a, you know, an interesting piece. And I would like to move on to, uh, you know, the gents that we have in the room, because uh, when you are a company like Liberty, um, it's not only, you know, the health part of things. There's all sorts of other, you know, claims uh, that people have. People are insuring cars. People are insuring household property. People are insuring their incomes. Uh, people are insuring 
I think nowadays, you know, anything under the sun, as long as you can have a risk profile for it and someone is willing to back you, you can have um, an insurance piece to it. And I wanted to start on the retail side because I think most ordinary South Africans fit um, inside that part around... um, I'm not sure, Tom, whether you can tell us um, because uh, Dr. Stott brings up an interesting point to say that as much as we're talking about the statistics that Liberty has right now, there is this big population of people that are either underinsured or not even insured at all. Do we have anything that tells us how big the piece that um, distinction is between people that are um, insured versus people that are not insured? Uh, Thank you. Uh, Yes, and we do. We do have um, a study that is done by the industry, um, by the CISA um, group, who do a study into what the size of the insurance gap is across South Africans. Now, that specific study reflects more the life insurance, the life cover, and the disability insurance gap. But currently, that is sitting at around 33 trillion rand across the population. 33 trillion rand which is significant. I don't think any of us can even imagine that sort of like money and the numbers behind that. But it does suggest that there's a huge gap that we need to fill as insurance companies, as an industry, to make sure that people are protected should something happen. Because yeah. just to Dr. Stott's point, cancer, cardiovascular, stroke, that is not going away. That is there and it's staying. And with more chronic conditions emerging, possibly into the future, then that insurance gap needs to be filled through some sort of policy. And you mentioned, well, you can get any type of insurance (laughs) policy under the sun. Effectively, what you're looking for with insurance is an element of certainty. Mm. And when things are uncertain, when things are volatile, you want certainty. And that's where insurance steps in to plug some of that certainty. So when it comes to, uh, you know, plugging some of those holes and for people that do have um, insurance, what are you guys, you know, seeing on the ground? Um, I think for me, when I was just reading through, you know, some of uh, some of what's there, it's the fact that apart from the health, you know, piece of things, it's uh, things like income cover. Right. I don't know whether or not I had heard that much about income cover until we got into COVID-19 and we had so many um, spates of retrenchments that people really started, you know, to say, actually, guys, did I cover my, you know, did we have, you know, these uh, these policies in place? Um, but that's what's, stuck in, that's what's sticking out to me. What stuck out on your end? So, interestingly, a lot of people think of life insurance or long-term insurance as just life cover. Yeah. You get a payout once you pass away. But there's so much more and there's so many more different solutions that can meet your different needs. Income protection is one of those things. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those products that you can use to protect yourself should you be unable to earn an income at some future time, either temporarily or permanently. Yeah. And you can pull a really nice solution together for the client where you're not only protected from health-related issues, um, but you're also protected from a retrenchment point of view. And there are very few um, sort of providers that are able to do that. We have seen through the last few years a definite rise and a drop in retrenchment claims. So we have seen the need for that cover, but not everyone has that type of cover. Yeah. So it is important um, to think about it. And uh, you talk about your income, your working earnings, like that is almost your greatest asset until you accumulate a level of wealth. Yeah. So why would you risk 
that part of it, especially as a young individual. Mm. No, no, it is an interesting one. And I guess, you know, a piece of the retail, uh, I guess related to the retail is the corporate side because a lot of the times um, when corporates are insuring, you know, they're insuring their people in in some aspects. Uh, but, uh, but just some Firstly, I was asking you this, you know, before this, and maybe you could give us some of that color because at least from a retail and consumer point of view, we understand the different types of insurance that people have, health, you know, your cars, etc. But from a corporate point of view, uh, what are people typically uh, what are people typically insuring for as corporates? Um, thanks. Um, so what they normally insuring for is normally life cover. Um, so that forms about 50%. So it's where an employer wants to ensure that its employees are covered. And then um, the other one, which is also popular, is disability income or income protection, where in terms of if an employee gets um, disabled and therefore cannot work, then at least the employer can still provide um, an insurance benefit to cover their income. So that's those are the main ones in terms of what employers are covering. And then um, are depending on... There are a few benefits in the market that cover lump sum disability and critical illness, but these are not popular with um, employers. Um, as such, um, it's only about 3% of the market um, in the corporate space actually covers critical illness, for example. So it means that there is that gap as well in terms of ensuring that your employees do have um, adequate cover. But the other part is where uh, em- employers actually use this as a nice way of attracting employees because um, you're then ensuring that should anything happen whilst working for me, these are the benefits you have and then it does help them differentiate themselves. And also um, to the point earlier, it also bridges that gap in terms of under insurance because what we find is in the workplace, it's normally um, a lot of the employees don't normally have individual cover and the first point of contact where they get this insurance is with the employer so that's where it all comes together and maybe you can help us to then contextualize um you know from a corporate side because i think it ends up being roughly 25 or so percent of the total claims um you know that liberty paid out in the last uh, in the last year um is that a lot is that little is that not enough like <laughs> Um, so I think, it, so in the context of things, I think um, because out of coming out of COVID, it has reduced. So mainly because we're not seeing a lot of death claims coming through. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, um, it is quite a substantial amount. So it's not so the corporate um, space in terms of um, employees getting cover via the employer is not as big as the retail. Um, retail side and then the other part is on the individual side more financially sophisticated members who are already high earners and high sums assured whereby what you get on the corporate side is that you're covering all of your employees which is would be I think the majority is mainly blue collar workers and you've got some senior managers etc but the bulk of claims are coming through um, those individuals that don't have other life covers or other insurance covered other places so that's why you're seeing it being small but um, that's um, I think from the study there's about 10% of cover in the market comes from um, um, via employer so it's not as big and that those are the reasons that do come through. 
that's an interesting one uh just as a quick follow-up there you know people might be curious um are small businesses in that piece the corporate piece or are we just talking just your just your large your large um corporate types of companies so um we so it's both small companies so um I think for small companies we do have umbrella offerings so these would be um, em- employers that employ 10 or more people yeah. and then those can actually get um, this cover by, uh, but um, anything below that um, then they normally opt for your individual policies where they get them for the specific members so it does cover the wide spectrum. Okay. Um, Tom, quick one. Um, once again I, I feel like all of this stuff is related. If a person, because we've got the gap um, and some of it is being covered by, you know, corporates that are covering, if a person, typically, if a person has uh, some type of corporate cover, they work for someone and the employer is offering some type of insurance, what are the chances that that person goes out to find their own insurance for other things or do they just rely on the fact that I have a job and my employer is going to take care of me? I think um, the insurance gap study suggests that the majority of the population are relying on their employer to provide an element of cover. I think there is a small proportion of the population, the working population, who will take out additional cover to top up to what their needs are. So every individual is unique, everyone has different needs. Maybe you have three or four children, you might need a lot more life cover should something happen to you yeah. than someone who doesn't have any children. And then the, you can imagine that from a corporate side of things, you're trying to um, position something that is best for everyone, but not necessarily best for each individual. So that is where the role of the financial advisor is so important in understanding exactly what your financial needs are yeah. and how you can top up any existing solutions with interpersonal solution to try and make sure that there isn't any gap on your personal side. Yeah, no, it is an interesting one, especially when one considers how stretched consumer pockets, um, you know, do find themselves right now. Um, because I think all the financial planners I've spoken to, when you when you reach the insurance conversation, um, it's often characterized as being more of a grudge purchase, um, one of those things that you don't want to pay for, but in the event that something happens, you are just grateful uh, that you do have this thing in place. Um, Dr. Stott, the mental health aspect of things right um it does seem at least from the outside right i'm not a doctor right but at least from the outside it does seem as if people are having more conversations about mental health now um than we did back in the day at least within the normal course of life uh people weren't talking that much about um you know mental health and one of the things i'm curious about is to understand um when you're looking at some of these claim statistics what is a person actually claiming for, like when it comes to mental health? Is it the cost of, uh, you know, going to seek treatment? Like, how does how do how do some of those work? Because I think for chronic, uh, what you call this, for chronic illness, uh, for disability, for all of that, I think it's a little bit more clear cut. We understand how you know those things work and what's actually being insured. Uh, but when it comes to mental health, I'm 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 trying to understand that one. The I, I claim would typically arise when somebody has become so impaired 
from their mental illness, their depression, their anxiety, um, that they can't function in the workplace any longer. And more often than not, it is something from which somebody could recover. There are instances where this degree of impairment is permanent and this person feels they can never go back to working either in that particular job or um, in any other job related to that occupation, depending on the, you know, the, the circumstances of their occupation. Um, the, it's the indirect effect almost of this mental disorder that prevents this person from being able to function because you get symptoms with mental disorders. Um, loss of, you know, memory loss, uh, poor concentration, lack of sleep, um, feeling particularly down, um, unable to interact with people either in the workplace or within your family and your social circles. And all those do have an impact on the way you perform your occupation. And it is that that the claims arise from. It is those features that people just can't work for either temporarily or permanently. Yeah, no, that one. Okay, at least now, you know, I have a fuller picture um, just around how that particular one works because, yeah, I was trying to understand um, what the mechanics would be. But on the treatment side, do people ever claim for that? Because I think one of the things that some people say is the fact that, you know, seeking uh, psychiatrists and mental health treatment is uh, a bit pricey. Yes, it is. We, we're not in the, in the medical aid space, so, so we don't pay for the treatment itself. But an income protection policy would pay for that person to be off work whilst they seek treatment either in the government sector or privately. Um, so the, the, the money that this person would earn replaces the salary that they should have been earning but now they aren't able to earn that money because they're not working any longer because of the impairment that they have. In South Africa we do have problems with mental health resourcing and admission to uh, government psychiatric hospitals. Uh, it is a, a factor not only in South Africa actually but it is a worldwide phenomenon. Um, and the problem with mental health disorders is that they are expensive to treat because the medication itself can be expensive but also you need daily interactions, weekly interactions with a psychiatrist or a psychologist and that in itself is expensive. Admission to a hospital can be for a significant period of time. This is not like a broken leg where you go in and you come out two days later with a pin in it. So you know people can be admitted to hospitals for long periods of time. And, uh, and that's partly why it is an expensive form of impairment to treat worldwide. Now, at this point, because we are running up the discussion, I'm hoping that we can look a little bit into the future um, because obviously the data gathered up to this point in gives some you know, information around the direction that we are going in. And uh, to start with you, Dr. Stott, is uh, just picking up on something that you were talking about, that we spoke about earlier on was uh, 
um, COVID-19, you know, some of these, uh, you know, ailments or, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Chronic illnesses. Yes, chronic illnesses and conditions mm. that have arisen, you know, out of that. Um, a couple of things. Firstly, do you think that uh, what do you see continuing? Because one of the things that you guys noted is the fact that there's a COVID-19 impact and also cancer, um, you know, claims, you know, continue to be a big piece um, of things. But, you know, going forward, does that continue to be the trend or there may be other conditions that you that you could possibly see, you know, cropping up to say, mm, you know, perhaps, I don't know, diabetes, high blood pressure, whatever it is, um, are going to be things that we need to be careful for, you know, in future. Well, there's a different layer of context to that question in that for the period of COVID, um, we had an infectious disease changing our whole world and it came on with a very sudden and acute impact. But in the background, don't forget, we still have the obesity crisis and that was ramping up even before COVID. It was there during COVID and it continues now. I'm, I'm sorry to say, but it is a fact of life that uh, the world is getting more and more obese. South Africa stats uh, for obesity are scary. Um, you know, approximately half our population can be considered obese or at least overweight. Um, and those, the diseases that come from that, you've mentioned diabetes, but most of the diseases that actually form a big part of our claims can be indirectly related to obesity, cardiovascular, uh, strokes, even cancers. Certain type of cancers are also linked to obesity. So I don't anticipate that anything will change in our claim stats markedly. I think they are likely to increase until the obesity crisis is addressed. If we had a vaccine for obesity, then I can anticipate that the claims would go down, but that's not going to happen, I can see. I think at this point we'd all wish that there was, you know, some quick fix, <laughs> you know, to that uh, to that obesity crisis. Um, Sinatemba, on the corporate side, what do you see, um, I, I guess, going on, you know, the trend? You noted the trend around, um, I think you said uh, death claims have come down and that type of thing. You know, what do you sort of anticipate? What are you seeing in your models? Um, so I think um, it would be similar to what's seen on the retail side. I think the... One thing is, um, because of all of the other conditions were neglected during COVID, it's not that they disappeared, it's just that now all of those are going to come to light. So um, I think in the near future, other than death claims, we do expect to see disability claims slightly increase, critical illness, income disability, just because um, those conditions were not attended to. And then the other part is, um, because we're now moving from um, working from home to back to the office, you are going to have quite a lot of other cases that come up where um, individuals who could work comfortably at home, who had a condition, now I need to go back to the office, that condition is now exposed and therefore you are also going to start seeing that increase in claims due to that. Yeah. So um, so the, those would be the main dynamics. And then um, what 
the focus has been on is just an overall employee well-being, i.e. just not focusing on only paying claims, but also ensuring that you are looking at mental wellness because um, research has shown that um, if you do put a focus on mental wellness and via various initiatives, um, you can actually reduce some of the claims that are related to it, um, especially because um, those are the claims that we expect to increase going forward, yeah. and therefore the focus should be on that. So that's the... I wouldn't call it a prediction, but the expectation. And then I think um, we have seen that um, COVID is going away, although um, we're not fully out of the woods yet. Um, mortality claims are still elevated, but um, we're getting towards the end of that. Yeah. All right. Um, it does seem, you know, quite maybe not clear, but at least the picture that's being painted uh, by Dr. Stott as well as Senator Timbers, the fact that uh, some of the health issues and, you know, uh, are going to continue to be some of the drivers um, when it comes to claims. So, Tom, I'm going to save you from, you know, also, you know, talking about the health to end. Um, and I'll ask, you know, as we close, you know, and you have the last word on this discussion to say, do you think that the things that people uh, claim for or are insured for are going to change, right? Um, I.e., does, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? So, for example, we mentioned earlier on that during COVID, people started to have an awareness that, ah, income protection, I need to have this thing in my life. So those types of things, right, do you anticipate that um, the types of things that people have typically been insured for are going to change or does it continue being just the usual, you know, mix uh, that uh, Liberty's always had? I think things will stay very constant. I don't think these things change very quickly. <laughs> what, I, what I will say is that we sit in a very unique situation right now in that everyone has survived the pandemic. Yeah. And that is significant. Mm -hmm. And people are very much aware as to their own mortality and their own morbidity. Yeah. So they're aware that they need something like life cover. They're mm -hmm. aware they need income cover. They need, they're aware they need emergency savings. Mm -hmm. But we also sit in this very difficult economic climate where everyone's money is very much under strain. Mm -hmm. Interest rates continue to go up. We're expecting possibly them to go up again. And that just puts more and more pressure on a consumer's purse. Mm. And then the sort of the questions clients are having to deal with is, do I keep my insurance policy or yeah. do I pay for my child's education? Yeah. And then it becomes very difficult conversations to have, not only with yourself and your family, but with the financial advisor. Yeah. And I think that's the difficult part and that insurance is very much there and it's needed for the moment in time that you're sort of at your most vulnerable when something happens. But if you don't have that insurance because of your affordability levels, then you're in even a bigger sort of state of disaster than before. And that can affect your family for generations thereafter, which I think is it's a difficult space. But yes, long-term insurance doesn't move very quickly, so I would expect it to sort of unravel and the the underlying impacts to slowly come through but it is how the economy changes in the next while might drive a lot of that all right so long-term insurance doesn't change much uh, but it will be a gradual change over time 
that's where we end off uh, today's discussion. It has been a great one just around uh, what's going on uh, in the world of insurance, um, geared by the fact that uh, Liberty has just uh, released some statistics um, around uh, what their claims look like for them um, back in 2022. It was a $10 billion number at the, at the top. Um, I think you can go and actually find out the exact, but it's roughly $10 billion. Of that, 25% coming from the corporate side and September, uh, you know, just letting us know uh, that some of the claims have been down, such as your your death claims. But um, you know, going forward, as you know, people go back to work, and uh, some of that is going to change uh, the dynamics, you know, for which uh, some of these companies, um, you know, are claiming. And then uh, Dr. Stott giving us some insight um, into the fact that uh, you know, COVID nineteen, um, as much as a lot of us think that it's over. I think I saw a number to say that in 2021, um, they had over a thousand claims that were COVID related. But um, as of uh, 2022, it was down to about 150 or so, which is a which is a dramatic decrease. But um, just warning to say that as much as you know, we might think we're out of the woods, um, there is the, that risk of uh, some of the other conditions that either popped up during that time or the long-term effects over time, um, you know, do do come up. And also at the same time, also anticipating that outside of COVID-19, obesity, um, you know, is one of those things that we do need to keep an eye on. Ending off uh, with uh, Tom giving us some insight to say that... Uh, as always, uh, one of the things that will continue uh, being there is the fact that, uh, you know, for a lot of people, uh, because um, consumer pockets are under pressure as much as they are, there is that hard conversation that needs to be had about whether or not, um, you know, people will want to keep paying uh, for, for insurance and the like as much as it is needed. Um, unfortunately, there are hard choices that people uh, are being forced to make out there. Uh, just to use the example that he gave, you know, to say, you know, do you pay for insurance uh, or do you pay for your child's education? And unfortunately, uh, that's the situation where it is. And I hope that, uh, you know, that's been able to give us a little bit of a sense of uh, what the economy and the economic reality um, is looking like on the ground for a lot of people out there. Uh, because as we said at the beginning, the health of the consumer, the health of the individual does give an indication as to the health of the economy. So that's been it. Uh, we were chatting with the team um, uh, from Liberty. Um, and uh, for today, we had Dr. Dominique Scott, who is Liberty's uh, chief medical officer together uh, with the senior member uh, Hobane who is lead specialist for risk product development as well as uh, Tom Crotty who is lead specialist uh, for technical marketing a risk proposition management team thank you so much for being with us today And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcasts on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from us and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.